All right, turn your Bible to Luke chapter 2. Again, the most read chapter in the Bible on Christmas. Um, You can see it also in Matthew, but Luke has the most, uh, you know, the most information for us. And we're going to be taking communion at the end of this. I also want to say to all of you who are visiting, I hope you feel welcomed and loved. We have a lot of our people that are normally here that are away visiting family. So there's nothing better a family can do to celebrate Christmas and the birth of our Savior than to come and worship Him together. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank You, we praise You, we love You, Lord. You are a great and an awesome God. We ask now as we go to Your Word that Your Holy Spirit would be our teacher. I thank you for everyone who's here, none by chance, all by divine appointment. So Lord, give us ears to hear what your Spirit would say to us. We ask these things in Jesus' name, and all God's people said, Amen. So, if you were to go to the mall and ask people what's Christmas about, you would get a lot of answers. A lot of people would say it's about Christmas music, Christmas movies, being with family, giving gifts. And I love to give gifts, and I love Christmas music that honors Jesus, and I love being together with my family. Those are all wonderful things, but that's not what Christmas is about. Christmas is about the greatest gift that was ever given in all human history when Almighty God sent His Son to become a human being, to live on this planet, knowing that when He sent Him, that 30 years, 30 years later, he would begin a public ministry. He would live a sinless, perfect life. He would teach us all things that we know to have eternal life. And then he would be rejected by man. And then he'd be mocked and he'd be scourged. And then eventually crucified, a, a form of death that was created to give the greatest amount of pain and torture when somebody dies. And then we know that when he died on the cross, the most torturous thing is he knew separation from the Father when the sin of all mankind was placed upon him. And then he died on the cross, this torturous death. He was put into a tomb. And three days later, he proved himself to be God, that he had triumphed over sin and death when he rose from the dead. And that's what Christmas is about. Amen. Amen. The greatest act of love. And I will just share one thing with you, then we'll get into it. You know, uh, while I've been laid up at home, I watched some old DVDs. And, I'm, you know, Christmas is tough. Most of you guys know we had one of our sons went to heaven two years ago, and I was watching his birth, and when he was a little baby, and I was just, oh. And one of the things that gripped my heart was I knew the trials ahead of him, and as his dad, I wanted to go back and fix it. I'm like, that poor baby boy, I know the stuff that's coming his way. Now, what that did more than anything else, though, is it made me think about our Heavenly Father, who sent his son and knew what was coming, and did it anyway, because he loves you. Amen? Amen? So, you know, you determine the value of something, what someone's willing to pay. I would have rescued my son if I could have. And if I had known what was, and even knowing what was ahead of him, I wanted to go back and fix it. But our Heavenly Father knew before the foundation of the world, Jesus was the Lamb that was slain before the foundation of the world, and He sent Him so that you and I might have eternal life. And because God sent His Son to die, I'm going to get to see my son again. And there's a joy in that. Can I get an amen to that? And so just we need to have that perspective as we we think about Jesus, and we should. And we think about Mary and Joseph, and we should. We also need to think about our Heavenly Father and His love for us in willingly sending His Son. Amen? So Christmas, it's really all about Jesus. 
And, and some of us, we only come to church on Christmas. I'm glad you're here. We call you CEO Christians, Christmas and Easter only, and we're glad you're here. And we hope you feel welcomed and loved, and you can come back next week. It's okay. It really is. But we're just glad you're here, and, we, and we're not, we don't have any problem with that at all. We're just thankful that you're here and that you're with your family. That's a wonderful thing. Uh, so grab your outline. I'll go through this, and then we'll get into the text so I tell the message, what is Christmas really all about? And I put there, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son. So the greatest gift we've ever been given is a gift that no one can ever take away from us. It's a gift that's given to everyone, not just to one of us. And it's a gift that will transform our lives and our, where we spend eternity. So it's the greatest gift ever given. That's what Christmas is all about. And we don't want to miss Christmas and the greatest gift. Again, if we went to the mall and we asked people, they would tell us so many different things that they think Christmas is about. And some of those things, again, are wonderful. I'm going to be flying out tomorrow with my wife to see two of my sons, two of my daughter-in-laws, two of my grandkids in Colorado for the next five days. We had planned it months ago. And I'm looking forward to just being with my family. That's a wonderful thing about Christmas. But that's not what Christmas is really all about. So here's what we're going to see. We've got two points with some sub-points here. Point number one the truth about our Savior's birth. It's not a holiday created by man, but a part of God's sovereign plan. It's not about gifts under a tree or family traditions or Christmas lights or Christmas music and heaven forbid, Frosty, Rudolph, or Santa. Can I get an amen to that? <laughs> and I'm okay. If you got that at your house, God bless you. That's fine. Uh, but it's just interesting that the same letters in Satan and Santa are the same. I don't know, but I'm just saying. Okay. But the gift from heaven who would one day hang on a tree, die in our place so we could be forgiven. My family, we used to call Santa Claus the great imposter. And so my daughter was three years old walking through the mall holding my hand. And she said, look, daddy, it's the great imposter. I said, that a baby girl. Again, if you got your picture with Santa, God bless you, it's fine. So it's not a holiday created by man, but a part of God's sovereign plan. Number two, it's not a fable created by man, but a fulfillment of Old Testament prophecy. When we get to it, there's over 200 Old Testament prophecies about the Messiah. Jesus fulfills them all. And what's amazing is I'm just going to share six with you when we get to that part of the text. And just having those six happen is one in 72 million chance. The fact of 200 things happening, but how many guys decided where you're going to be born? Okay, well, the Bible says that the Savior will be born in Bethlehem. The Bible says he'll be born of a virgin. The Bible talks about how he will die, how he will live, that he will have to flee to Nazareth for a period of time. All this stuff is in the Word of God, written hundreds of years before Jesus came. It prophesies of the cross in Isaiah 53 and Psalm 22, 700 years before crucifixion even existed. Guys, we don't believe in spite of the evidence that would be superstition. The Bible rocks, the Bible is true, and we can trust it. Amen? Point number two, how will you respond to the message of Christmas, the birth of our Savior? We're going to see three groups on this Christmas, this first Christmas, who've had, or four groups really, who had an opportunity to meet Christ. First, we're going to look at the innkeepers and the travelers. They were so busy, they missed Jesus. Sometimes at Christmas, we're so busy running around doing things for Christmas, for the Christmas meal, and to make sure everybody's got a good present. And I'm, and I'm a big one. I love to give presents. It's one of my favorite things to do. But that being said, we can be so busy doing that that we miss the real meaning of Christmas. And the people on the first Christmas missed it, many of them. 
We could be like the angels, boldly proclaiming the good news of Jesus' birth. Not only do we think about the heavenly Father sending his son, but the angels had been in heaven with Jesus. How blown away they must have been to see Jesus leaving heaven, becoming a baby in a manger, and how that must have blown them away that the God that created them has now become a human being and has come to earth so that you and I could have eternal life. And then we'll also look at the humble shepherds at the end who responded in faithful obedience to the message of our Savior's birth. They received, they responded, they reported, and praised God for them. So, Let's begin there. And again, I want to look at our Savior's birth, both in its historical context and the way people today respond to the events of 2,000 years ago. And in so doing, we'll all see some clear parallels between the people of Bethlehem at Jesus' birth and the people today. The innkeepers, this would be the time of year, or time of only once every 14 years. This would be the time when they would make more money in a short amount of time than they would make in many years put together. Why? Because... When the census came, as we'll see in a moment, everybody would come from far away. The population of the city could grow up by 10 times. And so they would, they would make money on meals. They'd make money on giving people places to stay. They made money because of this. And so often, when you, if you went to the mall and talked to a business owner, they would say, this is the best part of the year. It has nothing to do with Jesus. It has to do with making money. The travelers, as we'll see, are kind of like the shoppers at Christmas. They're you know, they're going to, to come back and be with all of their family. They want to celebrate together. But in so celebrating, many of them, when the Lord knocked on their door, when the Mary and Joseph knocked on the door, they had no room for them. And then who the Lord brought the good news to? Then it was the lowly shepherds. And today, it's all who are humble, broken, and desperate, recognizing they have a need for a Savior. So again, let's begin there looking at verse 1 the truth about our Savior's birth. And as we look at the truth about our Savior's birth, we're going to first look at, it's not a holiday created by man, but a part of God's ultimate plan. Look what it says there in verse 1. So it says there in verse 1, And it came to pass in those days that a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. So this did not happen every year. About once every 14 years or so, what they would do is they would have, you had to come be registered. And this was for two things. It was for military availability if needed to draft people, but it was also to be registered to pay your taxes. And so if you were born in um, my family, most of my family is from Houston, Texas. So if I had to go back to where my family is from and they had to, had to register, we'd have to get in a car and go to Houston and they would register my name and then we would pay our taxes. And so that's what took place. Now, and the man who did this, Caesar Augustus, he's the grandnephew and adopted son and the primary heir of Julius Caesar. We've all heard of him, right? Historical figure. And so this Roman government was constantly torn by power struggles. Octavius ascended to undisputed supremacy in 31 BC, and then he declared he was declared Rome's first emperor, and he was given the title Augustus. Now, Augustus means exalted one. A little full of yourself there, bro? I am Caesar the exalted one. I am the most magnanimous. I am the most amazing. Don't you hate pride in other people? Can I get an amen to that? We all struggle with it, but when you hear that arrogance and that pridefulness, but here's what I love about this. God is going to use a prideful 
pagan, godless man to bring about his perfect will because Caesar's not in control, Almighty God is. Amen? Amen? And, and even no matter what happens in the White House or no matter what happens with our governor or whatever happens with politics or whatever happens in the world around us, in the end, God is still in control. We should go out and vote, vote biblically, but trust that no matter what happens, I'm glad to know that our faith is not in the White House, it's in the throne of God. Amen? Now, it says that all should go to be registered. Again, not one-time census, but took place about every 14 years for both military and tax purposes, numbering the nations by family. And Joseph, a Judean, had to return to his ancestral home to register, and that place was Bethlehem. So both Mary and Joseph were of the tribe of Judah. That also fulfills biblical prophecy that the Savior will be the lion of the tribe of Judah. Amen? And both of them had to return to Bethlehem together. And then it says there, it took place while Quirinius was governing Syria. We know that he was governor up until about 3 or 4 AD. So somewhere in that, we know that this date, and this is the one thing that it, it's always baffling to me, People will say, you believe in a book written by a bunch of men. I said, every book you've ever read was written by a bunch of men, but this one has no contradictions, and it's 66 books written by 40 authors on three continents and three languages over 1,500 years with one central theme and no contradictions. How is that possible? Because God wrote it. And people want to put their faith in what you know, Aristotle said. Well, by the way, there's six manuscripts for Aristotle. There's over 25,000 for the Bible. Amen. So the word of God is true, and this date of Quirinius, if you go back historically, you see that he was reigning during the time that the word of God says that Jesus was born. And by the way, A.D. does not mean after death. It's Anno Domini, which means in the year of our Lord. Amen? So all the people that do not believe Jesus existed write down on their checks every day, or people who use checks, right? But write, but write down checks, or every time they write down the date, it's the number of days since Jesus was born. Amen? The number of years. So he is the fulfillment of prophecy. It took place during this time of Quirinius, who was governing Syria at the time. Verse 3, so all went to be registered, everyone to his own city. And again, Augustus Caesar was ruling but again, God was in charge, for he had used Caesar's edict to move Mary and Joseph 80 miles from Nazareth to Bethlehem. Now, let me tell you this. This is the only thing that could have moved them, because Mary is nine months pregnant. Who wants to get on a donkey and travel 80 miles when you're nine months pregnant? The answer is no one. And I don't think Joseph could have convinced her any other way. The only way they went is because they were commanded to go. It literally would have been breaking the law if they didn't show up. Now, I have four kids. One's in heaven, but I have four kids. And I remember when my wife was pregnant with driving four hours in the car with a pregnant. You know you're pulling over at rest stops. It's just going to happen, right? When they're nine months pregnant, I get it. She's traveling 80 miles on the back of a donkey through the desert, when she's nine months pregnant. But God has a way of getting people where he wants us to be so he can use us for his glory. Amen? That all suffering and all difficulty we go through in life is used for God's glory. By the way, I've had so many divine appointments at Kaiser, I can't even tell you. One lady gave me an ultrasound. I had a Jesus shirt on. We started talking about the Lord. We talked for 45 minutes, and I prayed with her before I left. So God knows what he's doing, right? 
no suffering is wasted. God puts us where he wants us to be that we might be used for his glory. So we see there, it's not a holiday created by man, but a part of God's sovereign plan. And God will even use worldly leaders to bring about his will. Number two there, be there, is it's not a fable created by man, but it's a fulfillment of Old Testament prophecy. We're going to see six prophecies here in these next three verses. Let me just tell you what they are. God promised that the Messiah would be, and there's over 200 prophecies about him. Number one, he'd be a human, not an angel. That's in Genesis 3 and Hebrews chapter 2. A Jew and not a Gentile. That's in Genesis 12, verses 1 through 3. From the tribe of Judah. That's Genesis 49. From the family of David, 2 Samuel chapter 7. Born of a virgin. Anybody else's mom say that? Anybody else think you were born of a virgin? Yeah, no. Also says he was born in Bethlehem in the city of David. That's in Micah 5.2. Born of a virgin in Isaiah 7.14. So all of these came out about just as the Bible said. You know, people talk about Nostradamus, or they have people that make predictions about the future. He's got, you know, he gives a thousand, three of them are right, and everybody's excited. Uh, 200 prophecies about Jesus, he fulfilled them all. Guys, there's no question, there's no doubt, there's no other way under heaven. There's no other name under which we must be saved. Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. Nobody else died for your sin. Nobody else created you. Nobody else rose from the dead. There's no other answer. There's no other hope. Jesus is the only way. Amen? And he fulfilled prophecy. Look what it says here in verse 4. It says, Joseph went up from Galilee out of the city of Nazareth into Judea to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and the lineage of David. So even though it was Joseph and Mary's parents that brought them together in this, you know, arranged marriage, is how they did it in those days. It was really arranged by Almighty God. And I truly believe that God has a person for you to marry. And I believe you should settle for nothing less than the person God has for you to marry. And here's how you know if that's the right person. Number one, they love Jesus more than they love you. Number two, they love you more than they love themselves. And number three, your relationship draws you both closer to the Lord, not further away from Him. Can I get an amen to that? That's, when I do premarriage counseling, that's where we start. These are the three things you're looking for. I don't care how much money he makes. I don't care how, you know, or she makes or how, who cares? We want the person that God has for us. Amen? Well, God divinely brings Joseph and Mary together. And by the way, Joseph, you got, I'm going to hug that brother when I get to heaven. How about you? He's betrothed to Mary. And then she comes and tells him, oh, by the way, I'm pregnant, but God did it. And in those days, if you were betrothed, you were already married, you'd have to be divorced. And what he should have done, according to the law, is have her taken out to the city streets and had her stoned to death. But he believed her. Now, God sent an angel to help him really believe her, but he believed her. And then he was the stepdad to Almighty God. Amen? And he raised him, and, he, and Joseph was a carpenter, and then Jesus was a carpenter. So he taught him, and God blessed people of faith, amen? Faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. So both Joseph and Mary, they had to go to Bethlehem, and again, it was about an 80-mile trek. It was a grueling journey for Mary on the verge of delivery, and life's greatest blessings often come from life's greatest trials. Now, something to be said of Bethlehem, Bethlehem means house of bread, What's interesting about that, we know that the Bible tells us that Jesus is the bread of life. Amen? In Genesis, Rachel 
Jacob's wife is about to t- have, give birth, and she's going to die giving birth to her, her, to her final child. And she dies outside the city of Bethlehem. It was called a Paphra back then, but she's literally outside the city gates of, of Bethlehem. Now, Jacob is Israel. Jesus is a descendant of Jacob. So these are descent, uh, you know, people that, again, through their line, Jesus would come. But what's interesting, when she was dying, she wanted to name her son Ben-Oni, which means son of my sorrow. And when she died, Jacob said, I'm not naming her that. He named him Benjamin, which means son of my right hand. Now, the Bible rocks because Jesus is acquainted with our sorrows and our griefs, and he is seated at the right hand of the Father. And the fact that she died giving birth outside the city where Jesus was going to be born with two of the names for our Savior, the Bible rocks. Can I get an amen to that? So if you're a CEO Christian and you're wondering, I don't know if I believe this Bible stuff, we can, talk, we can do this all day. <laughs> we can do this till January 1st. I can just keep giving you stuff that the Bible and the Bible alone says is true, and the Bible's always right. Amen. That's why you put your faith in the word of God, not the words of men. Verse 5. So Jesus is the bread of life. Verse 5. It says there, um, and to be registered with Mary, his betrothed wife who was with child. So betrothed wife, again, in those days, they, they were arranged marriages. They were betrothed. And for that first year, the betrothed lasted a year. And during that time, they were never alone. There was no physical contact of any kind, but they were already committed to each other, and they were building a friendship first, and then they entered into a relationship that God had created. So since they did not consummate their marriage until after the birth of Jesus, again, he had, the Bible tells us he had to be born of a virgin, and technically they were still in just that betrothal period. Verse 6, so it was while they were there, the days were completed for her to be delivered. Notice what it says in verse 7. And she brought forth her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling clothes and laid him in a manger because there was no room for them in the inn. So firstborn son, so Mary had other children. So you may have grown up in a church that taught you that Mary was a perpetual virgin and she was without sin. That's not true because the Bible overrules any religious belief anybody has. Can I get an amen to that? We read in Colossians 1, uh, Colossians 1 verses 15 through 17, and it names some of his other brothers and sisters. Now, why do I point this out? Mary was blessed among women and used mightily by God, but Mary cannot save you. Amen? She's blessed among women, one of the most blessed women who've ever lived. She gave birth to the Savior of the world. That's amazing. We should be thankful for that. Amen? That being said, when we start elevating anybody else other than Jesus to a position where they can save us, We've lost sight. Mary did not hang on a cross. Mary is not the creator of the world. Mary is not Almighty God. She's blessed among women. We thank God for her. We don't pray to her. Amen. Why not? Because she can't answer our prayers. We pray to the Father in the name of the Son and the power of the Holy Spirit. But she was used mightily by God and praise God for her. Notice it says there, they wrapped him in swaddling clothes. You know, this whole swaddling thing came back. When I had kids, we didn't swaddle no kids. But all my grandkids got swaddled. And all the women here know what a swaddle is, right? And what is crazy is, they, like my daughter would hand me one of my grandsons, and he'd be wrapped up like a, you know, like this, and they're all swaddled up. And what's amazing is, they love it. And I think they love it because it's like a 24-hour hug. It's like they're just being hugged all the time. 
I don't know if it's like maybe being back in the womb. They're just so, like they're in this place and they just rest and they, they don't fight to try to get out of it. They love it. Well, we're following a Jesus example. So how can you argue with that? Can I get amen? amen? So when Jesus was born, they would take cloths in those days and they would wrap them in swaddling clothes and they would swaddle them. And in this case, we know that Jesus was put into a manger. Now why? We know from the other gospels that when they went around, there was no room anywhere, as we'll see. And they had to put Jesus in a feeding trough that was used for animals. Now, I don't want to blow your Christmas gig, but here's the deal. I don't believe it was a wooden manger like we see. Most people believe that in, in Bethlehem in those days, the animals were fed in caves. And so this would have been a stone manger, not a wooden one, more than likely. But this makes total sense to me. Because when Jesus died on the cross, they wrapped him in cloth like swaddling clothes, and they put him into a cave or a tomb, amen? And see, when Jesus came, he came for one thing, to die on the cross for us and to forgive us for our sins, amen? So even from the moment he was born, you see a picture of why he came because of how he was born and where he was in swaddling clothes. And it was a picture of what would happen to him 33 years later when he was crucified on the cross. And yes, the Bible rocks. Amen? Again, the notion of a stable, something somewhere, again, there's nowhere in Scripture, uh, though still possible. Most ancient tradition says that he was born and placed in a, in a stone. I've actually seen stone mangers in Israel and again, from the moment of birth, he was headed to the cross to restore sinful men and women. And again, it's proof of both his deity. Now, it does say there, there was no room for him in the inn. So that meant that as they were coming into town where the population was 10 times what it normally is, and there were people that were knocking on every door, and keep in mind, they didn't have Motel 6 back then, okay? So what would typically happen is you were just knocking on the doors of either a tavern or a home, and just looking for somebody that had an extra room that they were renting out for the time of the census. And so people would just open up their house. We got a couple extra bedrooms. You can stay here. So they're going door to door, and nobody has room for, for Joseph, Mary, and Jesus. We don't have room. Sorry. And Or, well, how much can you pay? You guys are poor. You don't have a lot of money. We know they were poor because they gave the poor man sacrifice on the eighth day after Jesus was born. So it could have been, they could have been outbid by somebody else who had more money. So there's no room, they couldn't find a place to stay. Do you think there's anybody right now in eternity wishing they had let Jesus in instead? And the reality is this, that those people, they couldn't have known that was the Savior of the world more than likely, unless the Holy Spirit had opened their eyes. But here's the sad part to me. There are people all over the world today that know who Jesus claims to be, they know what the Word of God teaches, they know that, again, we celebrate his resurrection and his birth, and they still reject him anyway. And guys, I want to tell you something. The most important decision you're going to make in your entire life is what do you do with God's son? I don't care how much money you have. I was just reading a list. Somebody sent this to me today of all these famous atheists on their deathbed, and so many of them were screaming out like what was in front of them, and they were terrified. Guys, I have no fear of death, and you need to have no fear of death because death has no sting for the believer, and Christians don't die. We just move to a much better neighborhood. Amen? We close our eyes on earth, and we open them up in glory. And the sad part is, Jesus came to the door. The Bible says, "Behold, I, Jesus said, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. He's knocking on the door of your heart. Maybe you're here this morning. You've never given your life to Jesus Christ. 
Don't leave here without him. Amen? Wonder if those, again, who turned him away, if they could go back, would they do it over again? They chose silver coins over the Son of God. How about you and me? Are we so busy pursuing worldly riches, pleasures, and comforts that we've missed the Son of God as he knocks on the door of our hearts? Have you answered the door of God's calling upon your life? What have you done with God's Son? Again, it's too late for the innkeepers in Bethlehem, but it's not too late for you and me. When this time has come and passed, only what we've done for Christ will last. And while the busy and the prosperous innkeepers and weary travelers miss the Messiah, we'll see a completely different reaction from the host of heaven and these humble shepherds. How amazed the angels must have been when they saw the Creator again born as a creature. They must have just blown them away. He created them. They, they knew who He was. They worshiped Him in heaven. They were around the throne singing His praises, and He left, and He came here again. People use analogies. I heard a youth pastor one time and say, be, like us becoming ants, knowing that when we get there, they're all going to kill us. You know, where he came to a place where he knew that even though he was in control, even though he could have stopped the scourging, even though he could have come down the cross anytime he wanted to, it was not the nails that held him to the cross, it was his love for you and me. Amen? It's not Christmas without Christ. How will he respond? Now notice point number two there. How will we respond? Like the innkeepers and the travelers. Look at verse 7. And in verse 8. Now, there were in the same country shepherds living out in the fields, keeping watch over the flock by night. Now, shepherds were considered a lowly profession. Now, they were considered lowly. They were not esteemed in any way. But they also had to be men that were fearless. Because they were taking a job to watch a bunch of dumb sheep who didn't pay attention. And then they had to rescue them when wild animals would come. Have you ever seen these videos? I, I saw one not long ago in Scotland. They literally, there's, it, there's sheep's in a ditch. It takes like eight guys. They get a, 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 had to get a winch and pull the, the thing out. They get him out. He runs five more steps and jumps right back in the ditch. <laughs> and you see the guys looking at each other like, Bring the winch over here. You know, aren't you glad that the... Now, here's the scary part. God says, we're all sheep. <laughs> so next time you're getting puffed up, just remember you're dumb sheep like the rest of us. Amen? <laughs> Shepherds were really outcasts in Israel. And, and if you were a shepherd, the worst part about being a shepherd is if you worked the graveyard shift. I worked at 7-Eleven when I was in college, and nobody wanted graveyard. I don't know. And once in a while, the graveyard guy wouldn't show up. I'd have to wear a graveyard. No, I don't. No, I don't want to do that. They're watching sheep at night. Now, not only that. Think about this. I've been to Israel, and I've been where the Shepherd's Hill is, and I've looked down on Bethlehem, and you can see it clearly. And so, imagine it's Super Bowl Sunday, and you're in the parking lot. Everyone's at the game, and you're like, man, I, wish, I wonder what's going on in there, right? So they're looking down to Bethlehem. They didn't have electric lights, but the candles are lit. It's all scurrying people, and they're sitting on a hill with a bunch of dumb sheep. And they're not happy about this. But here's the good news. They're going to have the best Christmas to anybody. Amen? All these guys who are making money, all these people who are pursuing after things, even the people that are re reuniting with family, which is a wonderful thing, their work was remedial in the world's eyes, and it made them ceremonially unclean. Literally, they could not even participate in certain things because they were ceremonially unclean by caring for these sheep. Verse 9, 
And behold, an angel of the Lord stood before them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were greatly afraid. So why then did the angel of the Lord and the glory of the Lord appear to these anonymous shepherds? Why not priests? Why not scribes? Why not Caesar? Why not military men? You know what? Because God does not call the rich and the mighty, but he calls the humble and the lowly. And again, a lot of us, by the way, if you live in this country, you're, you're in the top 10% of wealth of anybody in the world. You just are. You got a place to go home and sleep tonight, and you got, you got food in the fridge. You're doing better than most people. But again, it's not our wealth that, makes, that values us. That's what we keep score with. We think the more money we make and the bigger house we have, the better a person we are somehow. We just need to recognize any blessing we have comes from the Lord, and we need to be good stewards of it. Amen? In the Song of Mary in Luke chapter 1, it says this, He has scattered the proud in the imagination of their hearts. He has put down the mighty from their thrones and exalted the lowly. He has filled the hungry with good things, and the rich he has sent them away empty. Because Jesus came to both the good shepherd, we would become, now listen to this, Two of the things that Jesus is called in the Bible, he's called the good shepherd and the lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. So is it surprising to you that he appeared to some faithful shepherds who are watching over lambs? Guys, the Bible rocks, amen? Here he is being born and we see the shepherds and lambs. And again, they may be uh, caring for the flocks that would be, provide sacrifices for the temple. It was fitting that the good news about the good shepherd and the Lamb of God was given first to humble shepherds. And again, how have, how have you approached God's Son? In prideful arrogance with questions and demands. By the way, we can ask questions. I love that. I meet people all the time. They find out you're a pastor, and you get this all the time. And I actually love it when it happens. Oh, you're a pastor. I got questions for you. Beautiful. Where do you want to sit? I'm good. Let's do it. Because they think they have questions because they don't have any knowledge of the true and living God. Guys, I love when people are questioning because at least they're questioning. Amen? At least they're open to talk. The ones that are concerned about the most are the ones that are indifferent. Where are you at with God? Uh, yeah, take him or leave him. Uh, guys, you don't take him or leave him, you take him. Can I get an amen to that? You surrender your life to him. Are you too busy even to take note of the Lord or in humility, awe, and wonder and brokenness? Now, they were greatly afraid. While shepherds were, again, humble, they were known to be brave. They fought wild animals. They laid down their lives for sheep. So if they were afraid, you know, they saw something that was awesome and real. By the way, every time angels show up in the Bible, people are afraid. Every time. When the angel came to Mary, she was afraid. Angel came to Joseph, afraid. Angel came to Zacharias, afraid. I mean, they're afraid. You know why? Because... By the way, in the Bible, one angel killed almost 300,000 people. Angels are not to be messed with. Can I get an amen to that? And good news is, we got angels watching over us. And God is for us who can be against us. Amen? So when you, people think, well, when I see God, I'm going to have some questions for him. No, you're not. You'd be flat on your face with the rest of us. Can I get an amen to that? Because we're going to be in awe of his greatness. But we're also going to be in all the depths of his love for us. Amen? So they were afraid. They were fearful. And then he says in verse 10, Then the angel said to them, Do not be afraid. For behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which will be for all people. 
See, this message, though delivered to the shepherds, was for everybody. And the good news of the gospel is for everybody. For God so loved the what? That he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believes in him will not perish but have everlasting life. This is not a message for the few. It's a message for everyone. Salvation is offered universally, but it must be accepted individually. He desires that none should perish, no, not one. He loves you so much, he'd rather die than live without you. And that's what he did on the cross of Calvary. But he tells them, don't be afraid. Fear is a natural response to when confronted with the divine or the mighty work of God. Good tidings of great joy. It means, the word means to preach the the good news. We bring you great news. I'm sick and tired of watching the bad news on TV every night. We got some good news. How about we share that instead, amen? Almighty God came to earth and suffered and died so you might have eternal life. If you believe in your heart and confess with your mouth that Jesus Christ is Lord, you will be saved and you'll have the best 401k ever. It's called heaven. Can I get an amen to that? So we have good news. Why would we keep it to ourselves? So what was the good news? Look at verse 11. For there is born to you this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. Not that God sent a soldier or a judge or a reformer or a politician. Thank you, Jesus. But that he sent a Savior to meet man's greatest need. It was a message of peace. Peace is not the absence of war, but it's right standing before Almighty God. Here's what we all need. What we need is to fill that God-shaped vacuum that only He can fill with Him. If you try to fill it with money, position, power, relationships, sex, drugs, rock and roll, whatever you want to try to do, to put that in and say, this will make me satisfied. Here's the reality. Your flesh will never be satisfied. When you will, no, satisfaction only comes when you have the relationship with the one who created you. Guys, we only have peace if we know the Prince of Peace. Peace is not the absence of war. It's right standing with Almighty God. Amen? It was a message of peace. Peace is not the absence of war. And Jesus is more than a baby in a manger, but he's the Savior of the world. Notice, that's how they introduce him. A Savior, who is Christ the Lord. And say, hey, a baby. No, he is going to be a baby, of course. But when we think about Jesus, and today we should think of him as a baby in a manger. We should remember that and recognize that and that great gift that was given to us. But he's not a baby in a manger anymore. And he's not a Savior on a cross anymore. But he is Almighty God seated at the right hand of the Father, interceding on your behalf, and he's in control. And by the way, he's coming back. Amen? And when he comes back, he's going to come back with us because we'll be raptured, and then we will come back with him, and we will rule and reign with him on the earth for a thousand years. Guys, that's called good news. Amen? That's the best news ever. How can we know this peace? It's only through Christ. The word Christ there means the anointed one, the Messiah. He's also the Lord, the covenant name of God, a title of deity. So he is almighty God. He is the Messiah. He is the anointed one, and he is the savior of the world. And again, we can know peace regardless of our circumstances, only through a relationship with the Prince of Peace, Jesus Christ, our Lord. Each and every one of us has a decision to make about the Lord. Every one of us will stand before God one day on our own. Can't have mom and dad there with you. Your pastor won't be there with you. Your friends won't be there with you. You won't be bringing your checkbook with you. You won't be bringing your, here's all my good works with you. The Bible says our good works are as filthy rags. We're going to stand before Almighty God. We're all going to be guilty. But 
Those who have given their life to the Lord, Jesus Christ will step forward and say, he's with me. I paid his price. He's the judge, but he's also the one who paid the debt for us. Amen? And so he's willing to pay the debt for you. He already paid it on the cross of Calvary. You simply need to ask. I pray you don't leave here without the Lord. If you do, your, your life will remain empty until it's filled with him. Again, we can only have peace through the Prince of Peace, verse 12. And this will be a sign to you. You'll find a babe wrapped, wrapped in swaddling clothes, lying in a manger. So the natural question is, hey, shepherds, guess what? Savior of the world was born down in Bethlehem. They're looking down. They see the massive humanity that's down there. And they're like, how are we going to find him? It's going to be a baby in a manger wrapped in swaddling clothes. Now, that narrows it down some. But where are all the mangers? And you can imagine them running down the hill, right? Going to find the Savior of the world. Again, this is truly going to be the first Christmas rush. Amen? So the natural question is, how are they going to find him? Down there in the midst of all the hustle and bustle, the city overflowing with the multitude of people. Again, it'd be like going to the, the Mall of America and being told, go find a guy who's 5'8 with a red shirt. Go that you don't know. And you know what, though? Here's how they're going to find him, because the Holy Spirit's going to lead them. Amen? There's not one person who's ever gone looking for God who did not find him. God is not hiding. Amen? There used to be a bumper sticker that said, I found Jesus back in the 70s. People had him in their car. And I said, I didn't know he was lost. We don't need to find him. He knows. He's called us, and he will bring us unto himself. And you know, the thing about it is, these shepherds could have said no. No, we're good here. We need to watch these sheep. This is our first calling. Let me tell you right now, whatever calling you have on your life, your first calling is to find Jesus. Amen? Finding Jesus is more important than watching the sheep. Because until you find Jesus, you can't watch him properly. Can I get amen to that? The first thing you do, seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added unto you. Again, God's not hiding from us. He wasn't hiding from them. And again, he is calling us to him. He desires that none should perish, no, not one. He came from heaven to earth, lived a sinless, holy life, an example to us, went to the cross in our place, to our sin and our suffering, our punishment, died the most cruel, brutal death in all of human history, and he did it all because he loves you. I know I've repeated this about three times now. I don't want you to forget how much Jesus loves you. Don't ever lose sight of that. He didn't only say he loved you, but he proved it. You've had people say they love you, and then they never proved it. Anybody get an amen to that? I love you. They don't act like it. Love is not a feeling. It's a choice. It's a choice followed by an emotion. But when you love somebody, you are willing to lay down your life for them, to serve them. Agape love is a, a, a love that gives, not a love that takes. A love that takes is called lust. A love that gives, gives. And so that God so loved, he gave. And he gave it to all of us. And you know what? Sometimes we don't make him the priority he deserves to be. Can I get an amen to that? Amen. He didn't only say he loved you, but he, re- he proved it by dying in your place. He didn't only claim to be God, he proved it by raising from the dead. What have you done with God's son? Are you too busy for him like the innkeepers? Are you unwilling to give up the throne like, the, like King Herod in Matthew's account? He killed all the babies two years and younger because he wanted to make sure that this baby did not raise to be a king like he was told they would be? And, and, or, or do we respond in obedient faith like these humble and lowly shepherds will in the coming verses? 
I pray that none of us is too busy pursuing the things of this world or too self-centered or prideful to give up the throne of our life and give it to the Lord. By the way, he'll do a a lot better job running your life than you ever would. And some of you, how dare you say that about me? We're all idiots compared to God. Can I get an amen to that? Amen? You put any stars in the sky? Put a few stars in the sky, raised from the dead, can come talk to me. Can I get an amen to that? (laughs) Create the heavens and earth in six days. Okay, he's smarter than us. Let's surrender our lives to him. I pray that we'd all come humbly and broken, having seen our sin and need for a redeeming work of of salvation. Guys, you're not going to get to heaven because you go to church. You're not going to get to heaven because you're religious. You only get to heaven if you read your Bible. Now, those are all good things, but those things don't save you. It's only when we surrender our life to Jesus, we recognize we're sinners, and ask for Him to forgive us and make us new creations in Christ. Amen? So the manger, the cross, and the tomb, the resurrection, and the birth, both, all of them announced by angels. Look at verse 13. And suddenly there was the angel, with the angel a multitude of heavenly hosts praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest. And on earth, peace and goodwill toward men. A multitude of heavenly hosts. It says in Revelation 5, if you were here a few months back, Then I looked and I heard the voice of many angels around the throne, the living creatures and the elders, and the number of them was 10,000 times 10,000 and thousands of thousands. We do not know the number here of this heavenly host, but the Revelation accounts a number too large for the human mind to comprehend. Wouldn't you love to have been at that worship service? These, these shepherds are out there like, really, bro? We're stuck out here. Everything good's happening. It only happens once every 14 years. We're out here watching these dumb sheep. And then all of a sudden, heavenly host shows up. They tell him the good news and then the worship. And I guarantee you, there was some light that had to come along with that. Can I get an amen to that? I don't think those angels are singing in the dark. Amen? And so the place lights up, and they're praising Almighty God, and it went from the worst day of their life to the best day of their life. Amen? And that's the best, hey, the best day of everyone's life is the day they give their life to Jesus. Amen? And then everything that follows it is a blessing. Again, I'd love to be at that concert, but guess what we're going to be when we get to heaven? Amen? We'll be around the throne worshiping Him forevermore. Glory to God in the highest. Glory that had to, again, had dwelt in the tabernacle only in Exodus 14, in the temple in 2 Chronicles, but had departed because of the nation's sin. So they had the presence of God and the glory of God. When they were traveling through the wilderness, wherever they went, God's presence was upon them. You know, and it would be right above the, where the tabernacle was, where the Holy of Holies was. And they would get up every morning and they would look up and if the glory had moved, they would pack up and move to wherever the glory went. That's a good lesson for all of us. We ought to wake up every morning looking where God wants us to go and then follow Him. Amen? But when they sinned, the glory of God was taken from them. And now the glory has come to earth in human form. And His name is Jesus. God's glory was returning to earth in the person of his son, it says in John 1:14, and the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory. The glory is the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. The lowly manger was now the holy of holies because Jesus was there. You know what makes something holy? Jesus' presence. Where does the Holy Spirit dwell today? Where is it? In us. So that makes us holy. We're not holy because of our good works, we're holy because of who dwells in us who we belong to. Amen? We're still sinners saved by grace. We still struggle with temptation. But 
the Holy Spirit is a down payment on heaven, according to Ephesians chapter 1, that comes to live inside of our lives so that we know that we are truly born again. Then it says, peace and goodwill toward men. Not a universal declaration of peace toward all men, but a better rendering would be peace toward men on whom God's sovereign uh, pleasure rests. What he's saying is, look, this peace is available to all men, but it's, avail- but it's going to be given to those who will surrender their life to the Lord. I hate to bring it up again. The only way I've survived the last two plus years since my son went to heaven, if I did not know the Lord, I probably would not be here. Because I, I don't even know, there's no hope. The, the pain of grief, as many of you know, is far beyond anything you can calculate. You know, when your wife dies, you're a widow or a widower. When your parents die, you're an orphan. When your kids die, there's no name for it because they're not supposed to. And so, but at the same time, God knew, and God knows, and God's faithful. And as Job said, shall I just praise him in times of blessing? Not only praise him in times of blessing, but I'm going to praise him in times of adversity. And see, I can have peace in the greatest storm because I'm not walking through it alone. And if you know the Lord, you will never walk through anything alone because he will never leave you nor forsake you. Amen? And so there's peace that can only come from knowing him. God's peace is not a reward for those who have goodwill, but a gracious gift to those who are objects of God's goodwill. No peace apart from the Prince of Peace. Final point, like the humble shepherds. Let's watch how they respond. We saw how the angels, they boldly proclaimed the good news. Were the angels worried about what anybody thought? What's the answer? Well, I'm afraid what they, they might reject us. Maybe we shouldn't tell them. You know, and that's how we get sometimes, amen? Well, go tell that guy. Now, how many of you have heard this in your, you hear it from the Lord. Go talk to them about the Lord. Anybody hear that? Anybody heard that and not done it? When I was playing football in college, there was a McDonald's across the street. And so we had two-a-day practices, and, and you know, I'd go with the lineman. Just one dude would order five Big Macs. Just put them down. And they eat mine while I was in the restroom, you know what I mean? <laughs> but I was in that McDonald's one day, and I'm with a bunch of my football teammates, and there's all these people in there, and I felt the Holy Spirit telling me, just get up on this chair and just start talking to people about Jesus. Just share the gospel. What? <laughs> I didn't do it. I totally wimped out. Amen? What I'm saying, though, is that God wants to use us to be the... Could God open up heaven and just tell the gospel to everyone? What's the answer? But he chooses to use us. And guys, here's what I would say. The more you love Jesus, the less you're going to fear telling other people about him. And you know why we don't tell them? Because we fear men more than we fear God sometimes. Amen? But the angels didn't do that. They were not afraid. They shared the good news and did it with boldness. Last point, responding, we saw like the innkeepers, so busy they missed Jesus, or pursuing money, comfort, and pleasure, like the angels who boldly proclaimed the good news, or like the humble shepherds responding in faithful obedience to the message of our Savior's birth. Look at verse 15. So it was when the angels had gone away from them into the heavens, and the shepherds said to one another, Let us now go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has come to pass, which the Lord has made known to us. Now, thankfully, there weren't any, but could you imagine if there's one of the shepherds like, Dude, we've been just drinking too much hard cider. I don't think that happened. You could have been arguing with each other, but they heard the word, they heard what the word of God said. They didn't worry about what anybody else thought. They were just going to obey and go do what God said. Guys, 
And in a few minutes, I'm going to give you a chance to give your life to the Lord if you've never done it. And here's what often happens. Well, someone else is going to look at me and guess what? We're all stinking about sinners. Join the club. Can I get amen to that? But we've been made holy through the shed blood of Jesus Christ. And my prayer is, my heart would break if there's anybody here that leaves here without the Lord because that's the only thing that really matters. The greatest Christmas gift you've ever been given is Jesus coming to earth. And the greatest thing you can do is surrender your life to him. Amen? He said, let us go and what the Lord has made known to us. And they came with haste. There, I told you, Christmas rush. And they found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in a manger. I think when they went down there, they were about it. Amen? They went into town and they were knocking on every door and they're running into every place. And they're gonna, they were not going to stop until they found the baby, until they found the Savior of the world. And again, the shepherds hear from angels and they don't doubt. And though they had initial fear... They responded in obedience. You know, Zacharias, when he was told that at, a, at an older age, his wife was going to have a baby, and we know that's John the Baptist, he responded to the news with doubt and faithlessness and unbelief. The innkeepers, the Messiah, came to their doors, but they were too busy. And here we have the first, again, Christmas rush, but unlike the material-focused Christmas rushes of today, they came with haste seeking Jesus. There should be a sense of urgency and desperation in our pursuit of God. Amen? If you've been walking with the Lord for a long time, here should be my prayer and your prayer every day. I want to be closer to the Lord tomorrow than I am today and closer next year than I am this year and just be closer to the Lord always. And you know what? Faith comes by hearing and hearing by. And by the way, we're going to have more of these on the back table. You might want to grab one now and get a week's head start on reading through the Bible in a year. Can I get an amen to that? Read the book, Don't Wait for the Movie, right? And I want to encourage you guys, when you read the Word of God, it's going to transform your life. Amen? So they ran down into the town. They found him. And in verse 17, Now when they had seen him, they made widely known, saying, which was told to them concerning the child. Look, these guys heard it three minutes ago. And they're telling everyone. And you know what? There's some of us have been believers for decades, and we've told no one. Lord, help us. Amen? I believe one of the greatest evidences of a life that's been touched by God is becoming a witness. You know, we don't go witnessing. We can't go witnessing, but we just are to be witnesses. Pray for divine appointments. I'm thankful I had to have an ultrasound on my liver and my kidneys because I got to talk to somebody about Jesus. Amen? All the stuff that we go through they're God dots, right, sir? These are opportunities where God puts these things into your life for a reason so that you might be used for the kingdom of God. These guys got it. They saw Jesus. They didn't go, hey, that's pretty cool. Let's go back to the field. No. They were running through town. Guess what? Savior's been born. The one we've been waiting for, the Messiah we've been waiting for, screaming at the top of their lungs. They were lowly shepherds who were looked down upon by men, and they didn't care because they were doing it for the Lord, not for men. Amen? The Bible says in Acts chapter 1, verse 8, but you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you shall be witnesses to me in Jerusalem, in all Judea, Samaria, to the end of the earth. While we have not seen Jesus in the flesh, we do have the Holy Spirit within us, May we pray for divine appointments. Let's finish up. Verse 18, And all those who heard it marveled at these things which they were told by the shepherds. But Mary kept all these things and pondered them in her heart. For some reason, the shepherds were not permitted to testify in court. 
They were considered ceremonially unclean, social outcasts in Israel, but God used humble shepherds. See, sometimes we think, well, I can't share my faith because, you know, they might ask me questions I don't understand. They're going to ask me where Cain got his wife, and I'm going to just throw up on myself and leave. I, I, won't, I don't have the answers. And we have this fear because we don't think we know. Here's what you can do, all of us. I've shared this many times. Here's who I was, then I met Jesus, and here's who I am now. And nobody can dispute that, amen? And you know what? People that know you well, when you give your life to the Lord, they're going to see that something's different, amen? But I want you to notice these shepherds who were looked down upon by men, who were not allowed to testify in court, it was the humble shepherds that God used. He did not use priests. He did not use scribes. He did not use soldiers. He did not use political leaders. He used the most simple of, of all the people. And guys, we're the people that God can use because we're his sheep. Amen? God's truth is marvelous. The shepherds went from men who marveled at a message to messengers who delivered a truth that made men marvel. That took me a while to write that down. <laughs> so they marveled at a message to being men who shared a message that made other people marvel. And guys, we have the answer. A lot of people call me up and say, oh, I need counseling or coworkers or whatever, they want counseling. They'll go, well, do you have a, de- do I, do you have a degree in uh, you know, therapy? No, I, I have the creator of the universe living inside of me. And I have the teacher's edition <laughs> with all the answers in it. Can I get an amen to that? <laughs> my opinions are relevant. Don't you remember when the kid got the teacher's edition in math class? He all became his friend immediately. Dude, you got a teacher's edition? Had all the answers in the back? You learn nothing that way, and you just flunk the test, but we're just stupid anyway. So these, are, these, are, are, these shepherds are good examples for us to Im- imitate today. They received by faith the message. So they heard the message, and they received it, and they believed it by faith. Unto us, this child is born, the Savior, which is Christ the Lord. They responded with immediate obedience. They went down to seek him out. They didn't just hear the word and go, oh, that's something good to consider. They actually responded to it. And then lastly, after seeking out and finding the Lord, they told everyone else. They found him. They told the whole world. God is not looking for ability, but availability. God gives grace to the humble to resist the proud. If he can use lowly shepherds, he can use you and me. Amen? Verse 19, but Mary kept all these things to herself. The shepherds were witnessed. Mary pondered all the things that had happened in her heart. Mary at this point is the earthly mother of the Savior of the world. By the way, Mary, did you know, is that not a great song? That your baby boy would one day walk on water? Mary, did you know? You know, when you kiss the face of your baby, you kiss the face of God. That's pretty awesome. Amen? But she's pondering it, and these shepherds, they're going out with boldness. Verse 20, then the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all the things they had heard and seen as it was told to them. You know what? When you give your life to the Lord, it's, you should be excited about it. What did you do this weekend? I went to a football game, and I did this out then. I went out to dinner. Oh, yeah, I got saved on Sunday, and then I did it. No! That should be first on the list, amen? I've been born again. I'm a new creation in Christ. I'm filled with the Holy Spirit. Heaven's better, amen? Angels, again, have not experienced God's great grace, do not have the privilege of witnessing to mankind. That's our job. Angels weren't saved. We were. They don't understand what it's like to be separated from him and then come to know him, but we do. Amen? 
The shepherds went back to their old jobs, but with new hearts. They went back to the hill, but they told everybody at work now, hey, bro, last shift, should have been there, man. I know it was graveyard, <laughs> but let me tell you what happened. You missed it. They shared their testimony, what they had seen and heard, and they took the message with them back to work. When you give your life to Jesus, he goes with you everywhere. You're salt and light. When you show up at work, the Holy Spirit just entered the building. Wherever we are, we're called to be salt and light to love people. We're just one beggar leading another beggar to the bread, amen? We're, there's nothing more valuable about us, nothing greater about us. We're just sinners saved by grace. And we should always be kind and loving, never self-righteous, always pointing people to the Lord, amen? So now we're going to prepare for a time of communion. Um, but again, as the guys get the elements together, worship team coming up. What is Christmas really about? The truth about our Savior's birth, not a holiday created by man, but a part of God's sovereign plan. It's not a fable created by man, but it's a fulfillment of God's Old Testament prophecy. And how will you respond to the message? That's my question for everyone here. How will you respond to the message of the gospel? Jesus loves you so much, he'd rather die than live without you. Here's a simple message. He said, if you'll believe in your heart and confess with your mouth that Jesus Christ is Lord, you will be saved. Your mom, your mom can't save you, your dad can't save you, your friends can't save you. Going to church doesn't save you. At some point, you must make a decision to surrender your life to the Lord. And how do you do that? You confess Him openly. The Holy Spirit comes to live inside of you. You're taking yourself off the throne and allowing Him to be there. Communion is for believers. In a moment, we will be taking communion, and the, the bread represents the body of Christ broken for us. The juice represents His blood that was shed on the cross of Calvary that redeems us. But that's only for believers. And so I want to pray in preparation for communion, I want to give you an opportunity if you've never given your life to the Lord. Again, he says, if you confess me before men, I'll confess you before my Father in heaven. And I'm going to ask you to, if you won't confess him in here in front of a cheering crowd, you won't stand for him out there in front of a jeering one. Amen? And so let's bow our heads. Heavenly Father, we come to you this morning. We thank you for the greatest gift ever given in all of human history. And Lord, I pray for anybody here this morning that doesn't know you that today would be the day of salvation. That salvation is being offered universally. It's your Holy Spirit who brings conviction and draws us unto yourself. And if you're here this morning, you've never given your life to Jesus Christ. If you confess him openly, he was faithful and just to forgive you. We all know we're sinners. Do you want to pay for your sin yourself or are you ready to surrender your life to the Lord? If you're here this morning, you've never given your life to the Lord, raise your hand. I want to pray with you right now. And you can know for sure that you're going to heaven. God bless you. God bless you. Anybody else? God bless you. Anybody else? Let today be the day of salvation. He loves you so much, you'd rather die than live without you. Anybody else? Lord, we thank you for these that have raised their hands. Lord, I pray they would pray this with me, whether out loud or in their hearts. Dear Heavenly Father, I come to you this morning. I confess that I'm a sinner. I believe that Jesus Christ is God that he died on the cross, he rose from the dead. Forgive me, Lord, for my sin. I invite you to be my Savior and my Lord. Thank you for forgiving me. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. The Bible says... When one person gets saved, all the angels in heaven rejoice. 
So that same concert that took place on that shepherd's hill is taking place in heaven right now. Amen? Grab your elements. I want you to hold them in your hand. We'll take them together. Three things I want you to do quickly. Look back, remembering the cross of Calvary. Jesus said, as often you do this, do this in remembrance of me. Look within, examining your own heart before him and looking forward because we will have communion with him again in heaven. Amen?